We're talking about some of the biggest singles from the 1990s. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James. And I'm Connor. And this is another live episode. Welcome to a singles episode. We haven't done a singles episode since, oh, Spinter Wonderland. It's been a bit. Has it really been that long? Yeah, because we usually do them about every, what, 15 to 20 episodes, and yeah. Spinter Wonderland was in the 70s. This episode is going to kick off the 90s for us, which is super exciting. Findies. The findies, as we've been calling them. Which you'll love. And this is another episode that we're live recording. So, I mean, you're obviously going to be listening to this episode wherever you listen to the episode. But we've got friends listening in right now. Say hi, chat. Chat said hi. I didn't hear anything. I don't think we have anybody here. No, no. (laughs) They're here. I should inform you, chat. I came prepared with some bits of my own. Anybody who's been a fan of the podcast for a while knows that I have a history with milk on this podcast. I went to the store the other weekend, found three new exciting flavors of milk to try, and thus we'll be trying them throughout this episode. Yeah, I'm a little scared for that. Would you like to know the flavors? Do you want me to announce them as I decide to drink them? Oh, I don't know. Good question. I think it's better. Let's keep everyone in suspense. And then when you decide it's time to drink milk then you could do it chad i'm gonna give you some power that's not really any power at all mainly because i reserve the right to veto that power and that is you can say milk break chat and i will take a drink of okay it. maybe if i'm feeling it i might just ignore you <laughs> right so it's the beginning of the episodes numbered 90 through 99 like we said and because of that, we decided to pick some singles from the decade of the 90s to talk about. We've not yet done a decades-themed singles episode, so I'm very excited about it. You and I, we're both 90s babies. I don't think we can rightfully claim 90s kids because we weren't quite in that age range, but we are definitely 90s babies. Yeah. So, oh, and the other thing I guess we should mention right off the top before we get into it is I'm not sure if this is just selection bias because we're 90s babies and mostly we're around for the late 90s or whether this is because the late 90s had so many good songs, (laughs) but... Our list was surprisingly heavy on late 90s songs, and I feel like we missed a couple of early 90s. Like, I know there's stuff from that time, but a lot of the things we landed on for the episode are late 90s. I'm going to choose to believe it's because the later 90s were better than the early 90s, um, and not that we could right. have possibly had any bias in our picking. No, none whatsoever. <laughs> Milk Break. We got our first milk break. We got our first milk break. First milk break. I'm going to drink some Belgian chocolate milk. Hopefully it just tastes like chocolate milk. Uh-huh. You started with an easy one. I did. I thought I'd start off easy. Kind of ramp up. And we're going to get a final ramp in milks too. Maybe. Uh-huh. Yeah, I knew it. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. It's chocolate. Yeah, it's chocolate milk. Yeah, Belgian chocolate. Right. Good first milk break. Right. So, yeah, I guess we should uh we should make our way back to the 90s. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. In true 90s fashion, we're going way back. If we're going back to the 90s, I got to put my uh, baby voice changer filter on. You don't have to do that. We, You and I, we're not going back. We're just <laughs> oh, transporting oh. back to the 90s. We made it. We made it to the 90s. Look at us. Oh, I love it. Remember when you had to connect to the internet and sit here and listen to this all the time? <laughs> 
awful consider me dialed in for this episode yeah great oh i see a request for the baby voice changer i'm just saying don't do don't don't do it (laughs) we kind of want it we've got a special funky 90s themed layout too today just because you know what we're we're with it we're immersed in the 90s it's the 90s, baby. No, we don't have to be babies. We don't We don't have to go back to the 90s. We can... I'm a 90s, baby. Yeah, okay, okay, grow up. I'm a 90s baby drinking some chocolate milk. It's love milk. That's not even, like, how a baby sounds. Goo Gaga? I hate it. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. Baby out. Okay. Sorry about that, everybody. I just had to get my inner baby out for a moment. Yeah. So we're talking about a dangerous baker's dozen tracks today. We've got 13 on the docket, but one of them is really only an honorary track. Do I need to go get some bread for this episode, too? I've got some. No, 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 no. We're we're good. We're good. So the first song, we're kind of just going to go in alphabetical order, just, you know, to keep things organized a little bit. And it just so happens that our extra song that we added, because spin cycle reasons we had to, is the first song alphabetically. Oh, yes. That song is Around the World by Daft Punk, our first 90s single for this episode. And do you know why this is in the spin cycle? Oh, is that to me? I thought that was rhetorical. No, if it was rhetorical, (laughs) I wouldn't have asked it. (laughs) Well, because obviously I know the answer. So that's why I was, I thought you were just being rhetorical and then you were going to lead up with the answer. Okay, no, but but you could tell everyone the answer. It's your fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because way back on, is it episode zero? Is it all the way back to episode zero? All the way back to episode zero. Kings of Leon had a song called Around the World. And I talked about how it was my second favorite around the world, I believe. You did. And actually, here, here, take a listen to this. Oh, there's another song where they did something similar and I loved it. But I think I just heard the chorus words too many times. They lost all meaning. Interesting. Around the world, another one where it was just so freaking repetitive. Three fourths of the song is the lyrics all around the world. Around the world, all <laughs> they around the world. They say that yeah. over and over the entire song. I was like, come on, I love the beat. Fun fact about Around the World: Daft Punk and Red Hot Chili Peppers both have songs by that title that I enjoy. Is that one that you've spun? Do I have to guess again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but when I saw that title, I was like, oh, I know two other songs like that. This one actually is probably my second favorite. I think Red Hot Chili Peppers still hold the number one spot, but it beat out Daft Punk's. Wow. So that's our, that's from episode zero. Episode zero. That's what you said about the first around the world. Yeah. And then we did a whole Red Hot Chili Peppers episode where we talked about their version. And so now this completes the Trinity. That's right. The other thing, you know, since we're going back to the 90s, you know, there's this kind of like back in time sort of vibe. Listening to that first recording and hearing my obsessive mouse clicking really brought me back. So I thought I'd uh, <laughs> get a couple of those for, for the No, audience. no. <laughs> we did our podcast has grown a lot in the last 90 episodes if you couldn't tell we've made great strides in everything since episode zero i don't know about great strides and everything but maybe some uh baby strides stop uh, you really did a good job of setting that up i guess i have to give you some credit but yeah so that was your take on kings of leon's around the world yep and i actually pulled a couple clips of you talking about red hot chili peppers around the world too I have a question. What's your question, first of all? Well, having now already talked about the previous around the world, do you like this one better? Oh, you're not going to like my answer. I don't know if you remember, you really hated on mm-hmm. Kings of Leon's Around the World. I, I do like that one better. Really? Yeah. I disagree. I would have given this one the spin award for best song named Around the World. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm sure you would. I don't know. I really like the pseudo rap sections for the verses with that fun instrumental that kicks off the album. And I mean, how can you not love 
evolve when you get to the outro and it just evolves into ding dang dong dong ding ding dong <laughs> it's so funny so anyway we go on we go on that's episode 47 if you're curious to know more about red hot chili peppers around the world but today we're talking about daft punks around the world daft punk is a french electronic music duo and the song is from their debut record homework it came out in 1997 and it was number one on the dance charts in four different countries best year of the 90s in my opinion the 97 was the best year of the 90s yeah wow you weren't even around for the whole year most of it most of it okay fair i remember do you remember listening to around the world in 1997 yeah i'm just built different you're built Okay, built like Daft Punk. No, actually, probably not, because I'm not a big Daft Punk fan. Uh, that's a pr- probably a hot take. You're not? <laughs> I'm shocked. Wow. <laughs> never really gotten into their, their stuff. I've gotten into some of their later stuff, like slightly. I've never put a Daft Punk album on the ranking spreadsheet. Never really given Daft Punk a proper listen. But I know some of their bigger, more recent singles. And, of course, I had heard this one. But I never listened to it as thoroughly as I did before this episode. And I gotta be honest. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's good for about 45 seconds. And then you're done with it. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Because if you had complaints about Kings of Leon's Around the World being repetitive. Uh-huh. Oh, this just steamrolls them into oblivion. I stand by my claim that it goes Red Hot Chili Peppers, Kings of Leon, Daft Punk in that order. Yeah, and I stand by my claim that it goes Kings of Leon, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Daft Punk. Honestly, in the order that we did them on the podcast. <laughs> that the Around the Worlds have been getting worse progressively as we go. They say Around the World a ton. I mean, 144 times on the album version. On the radio version, they cut that back down to 80 times. But it's just the way that the song is produced. There's so little variation. It's five instruments over and over and over and over and over again. And over and over right that's the song that's it when daft punk made the song they said it was like quote making a chic record with a talk box and just playing the bass on the synthesizer couldn't be more accurate just go for it they just went for it and then it feels like copy pasted i don't think i've got any kind of scores for these but around the world maybe a little lacking in instruments and production in in hit power i can't deny it was a pretty significant song but you know i'm sorry i'm gonna have to interrupt you it's time for another milk break according to the chat oh wanted me to have another drink of milk but we're like one song in good time to take a break wait did you change milks or is it still you're still drinking chocolate no 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 i'll announce when we switch milks okay when you milkshake it up oh yeah love it this is you know we're going around the milk Around the milk, around the milk, around the milk. It's going to be in my head now the whole time. But that's our honorary single for the episode, Around the World by Daft Punk. Just to complete the the trilogy of Around the Worlds that we laid out before the podcast even officially existed. Now, we got to move on to another classic, Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. What a classic. This is a song I think everybody knows. Yeah. Maybe one of the most popular or well-known songs on our 90s playlist, to be honest. I know Britney Spears songs. Like, I recognize them when they come on. I don't think I've ever sought out her music, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know if I have either. Yeah. Just one of those things that exists, and when it comes on, I'm like, oh, this is a good one. And then... Yeah, but it's everywhere. It exists, and it's everywhere. Yeah. Baby One More Time came out in 1998, when Britney Spears was just 16 years old, which is just like a mind-blowing fact to me. I can't imagine being like one of the biggest acts in pop music at 16. Which is crazy. It is. And uh, it's from her album of the same name. 
which also came out in 1998. It was a huge hit also. I mean, one of the biggest songs in the world. It topped the charts in 22 different countries. And by today, not, you know, the 90s, but all the way up in 2023, it sold over 10 million copies worldwide, which is ridiculous. Just, there's something, you know how we've talked about the differences between, like, modern country and classic country and how modern country takes on a more popish vibe than some of the older country? Yes, Okay, I feel like there's a difference in like modern pop and older pop as well that I think is highlighted on this song. Oh, that's not where I thought you were going. Yeah, no, I agree. Like something about this song feels innately 90s, early 2000. Like you you would not confuse this for a song just coming out like this year. It's true. Even if you'd never heard either before, like if you're just listening to both for the first time. Right. This one feels older. And I just can't put my thumb on what it is. Weird. Yeah, you're right. I think it's something about the way it's produced, the instruments that are built in. I thought you were going to say something about country music and comparing it to Britney Spears because she almost ended up as a Sheryl Crow-esque country artist. When she started making music, that's kind of the career she envisioned for herself, but the label decided to take things in a different direction. So, like, Baby One More Time is the song that made her decide to kind of pivot away from country music altogether. Huh. Imagine this is a country hit. Oh, I can't. I can't imagine this is a country hit. (laughs) Maybe a little banjo in there. Ugh. Yikes. When her producer played her the song, she said, I knew from the start it was one of those songs you want to hear again and again. It just felt really right. And to this day, it's still one of her personal favorites. You just want to hear it one more time. Yeah, play it. Baby, play baby one more time, one more time. (laughs) That's the next hit song for 2023. Oh. Rolling Stone actually named this song the best debut single of all time. And it landed at number 205 on their 500 greatest songs of all time list. I think that placement might be a little high, but I can understand and arguments can be made that it's the best debut debut single of all time i don't know about that you don't think so what debut single beats it i can't think of any example but i don't want to lock in that i agree with that i can't think of any examples but i disagree i'll say i skeptically allow that statement to stand it's pretty subjective but okay the other thing that's big about it that we should talk about is the music video that went along with it billboard named it one of the best music videos of the 90s and it's been voted the third most influential music video in pop music history by jam wow that's a pretty iconic music video i mean to this day people still dress up as britney spears in that outfit for halloween and stuff like i see it more often than probably most other things that are from 1998 and have you ever wondered about hit me baby one more time like the meaning and stuff no i can't say i've ever really given it much thought no well at first listen it, it sounds a little strange doesn't it yeah like um, nobody i don't want to be hit don't even hit me once you know but actually the song was written by swedish writers and recorded in sweden and there was just a little bit of like misconception behind that title <laughs> okay it's supposed to be more of a give me a sign call me up like hit me up one more time right not hit me one more time a lot of people a lot of americans in the 90s got it confused for some kind of glorification of violence and stuff it really doesn't make sense to think about the song that way but they did baby one more time drink a milk one more time you're, you're gonna hit the milk one more time <laughs> hit the milk one more time this time with some strawberries and cream okay another one that sounds reasonable yeah 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 okay i've got one that doesn't sound reasonable and it's coming yeah that's the third of three milks right you got one left that we don't know about yet mm-hmm. but still like belgian chocolate is different than regular chocolate and then strawberries and cream it's like 
Why? Why does that exist? You're just getting normal milk flavors with adjectives attached to them. Yeah. <laughs> the last one is not normal, but I want to, you know, I'm trying to save that. Uh-huh. I'm a little worried. The strawberries and cream, actually, I liked it better than the chocolate. Cool. All right. Are you ready for our next song? I don't know. I'm never ready for the next song. I'll be honest. Let me get my Ken face on. I don't mean to hate on all these 90s singles. <laughs> okay, but you're gonna. No, but like, I mean, around the world is, is repetitive. That's my main thing about that one. Very, you know, samey and like monotonous all the way through. Sure. This next one, I just don't, I don't like when it comes on. I like leave a dance floor. You don't like it? You don't like it? No, not much. I gotta be honest. I know what my pick for the playlist is gonna be then. <laughs> Barbie Girl by Aqua. That's what's up next. Remember this one? Listen, life in plastic, it's fantastic, all right? That is what they say. It's a cringy song. It's fine. Uh, it's very sing-alongable. That's it's a big strength for it. Yeah. But yes, Barbie Girl by Aqua is our next song of the 90s. Aqua is a Danish-Norwegian dance pop group, and it's from their debut album, which is majorly cleverly called Aquarium. Love that. And it's also a 1997 song. I don't know why the way you said that right there just instantly took my brain to Age of Aquarius. Yeah, that's another Aquarius. That was fun. <laughs> that's from another singles episode. I bet this is a lot of people's go-to for karaoke and things. I don't know about that, but yeah. You don't think so? I think it's probably popular, but I don't know if it's like a go-to. Okay, maybe not. Maybe not, maybe not. I feel like I hear it a lot in that setting. This, you're right. This is another song that feels straight out of the 90s. This is what the 90s were like. If you wrap all the aesthetics of the 90s into a sound, it's going to sound a lot like Barbie Girl. <laughs> I think is period correct. The song actually was conceptualized after band member Soren Rosted saw a Barbie doll in a museum exhibit on kitsch culture, Oh, which yeah, is interesting. Barbie's in a museum. Who knew? It's one of the best selling singles of all time in Europe. And it topped the charts for four weeks in the UK. Actually, I think it may be the 13th bestseller of all time in the UK, and it made it as high as number seven in the US. That's crazy. It is. Would you ever have guessed? Would you ever have guessed this song pulled that kind of numbers? Yeah. Oh, okay. I wouldn't have. But I'm just built different. <laughs> Is that going to be the theme of the 90s episode for you? <laughs> it might be. To date, Barbie Girl has sold more than 8 million copies. And, I mean, obviously, it's Aqua's biggest song. Yeah. The music video has more than a billion, with a B, YouTube views. You know what else has a B? I don't. Baby. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you worked so hard to set that up. I didn't work that hard at all. Ugh, that's so loud. Sorry. You've become too dangerous. The stream episodes bring out a different side of you, I think. They really do. <laughs> and the singles episodes, too. I think it's stream episodes and single episodes where you're at your most dangerous and destructive, and so this one's both. <laughs> and actually, you know, as popular as the song was, do you know who wasn't a fan? Who? Mattel, the toy company that makes Barbies. Oof. Yeah, I can believe that. Yeah, they sued MCA Records. The band infringed on the trademark, they said. And they say that they twisted Barbie into a blonde bimbo. <laughs> the band retorted and said, no, you're kind of adding your own meaning to the song. That's not what we actually said. You're just projecting that onto 
our words, and countersued Mattel for defamation. Ultimately, who won? In an unsatisfying fashion, nobody won. Aw. The case got dismissed, and in 2002, a court of appeals decided the song was protected as a parody. Mmm. Which, okay, you know, I, I'm glad nobody got sued, but I don't know if it counts as a, as a parody. Yeah, I don't know if it counts as a parody, per se, but... I don't know if Mattel or Barbie, the trademark, even makes any royalties off of this, uh-huh. which is kind of wild. And also, if you're curious, I mean, have you seen the trailers for, like, the Barbie movie that's coming out and stuff? Sure, yeah, I know it's coming out. I don't pay attention to it. Well, I mean, me neither. I'm not really the demographic I think that movie's marketing towards. <laughs> no, no, I know, but, like, one of the things people are saying about it is that it's not going to be using Barbie Girl. That's not on the soundtrack or in the movie. Like, no, duh. Yeah, I'm not surprised. They were so mad about this song. They're not using it. Yeah. Can't imagine it fits too well either. Probably not. I don't know if you really, in a movie about your famous kid's toy, Barbie doll, you want a song going, kiss me here, touch me there, hanky panky. No, no, you don't. <laughs> like, I, I don't think that's what you want. <laughs> it's not. But it's a parody. It's just a parody. Don't worry about it. I have a question. What's that? Do you believe? I do. I was just about to ask you a similar question. Specifically in Life After Love? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, uh, as a matter of fact, a good thing to ask because that's our next song. Wow. Believe by Cher. Oh, man. Great song. I didn't dislike this one. I know I was slammed on around the world, and I know Barbie Girl is not my favorite, but I really like Believe. I think Believe is a great song to come out of the 90s. It is from 1998 from Cher's 22nd album called Believe. 22 albums. That's a lot. It is a lot. I know. This song started its life out as a demo with the iconic chorus that you just quoted to kind of lead us into this. (laughs) But it made the rounds. People, you know, were trying to get it cut and nobody kind of wanted it. It was just a chorus. Everybody loved the chorus but didn't have anything else. And it landed in the hands of Warner executive Rob Dickens. He decided the chorus was the only good part of the song and he brought in a pair of other writers to clean up the rest of the song before Cher took a crack at it. So this song used to look a lot different. One thing that the song is notable for was its use of auto-tune because people had used pitch correction to this point. Like, pitch correcting was already a thing, but Cher, like, cranked it up to 11. Like, it's noticeable if you listen to this song. You can tell right off the bat that she's using it a lot. And to to us today, I think, it's kind of the same thing we talked about with R.E.M., how we know all the stuff that's come after it, and so we're so used to it now. I think we fail to realize a lot of the times how groundbreaking it was when Believe first came out. It was a trendsetter, a pathblazer, all that stuff. Yeah. All those terms. People actually started to call that kind of heavy auto-tune use the share effect (laughs) when they heard it in other places. Like, she named it. Uh, Now, I have a question for you. Yeah? This is at least the second time we've done a song on this podcast called Believe. Yes, it is. The other one I'm thinking of coming from another one of our singles episodes. Our first singles episode? Maybe No, second? Spinter Wonderland. Spinter Wonderland. It was the second. Spinter Wonderland year one. We did, you brought actually Believe from the Polar Express as one of your picks. I I think it's a great one. So if you had to pick one of them, which one would you pick? Oh, geez. They're so different. (laughs) I, I like them both for different reasons. Yeah, but there can only be one. You can only believe in one of them. If there can only be one, it's share. I think I agree. And I would also put it in Polar Express in place of the other belief. <laughs> 
I want this song playing while the train is drifting on the ice. Just train drifting on the ice. Do, do you, you believe in life after love? It'd be a lot less suspenseful, but way more fun for everybody involved. Love it. Believe was nominated for Record of the Year, and it won a Grammy for Best Dance Recording. So, two Grammy noms and one win. It also was a 23-country chart-topping song, sold over 11 million copies, and it was Cher's biggest single. It was actually her fifth U.S. number one, and when the song came out, unlike Britney Spears, who was 16 when she had her big 90s hit, Cher released this song at 52, and she became the oldest female artist to top the U.S. Billboard charts. It also was a new record for the longest gap between number one singles for an artist. Her previous number one was 33 years later with I Got You, Babe. Sonny and Cher, you know, the the classic Cher. So this song set some records. Sounds like it did. And totally pivoted the way we talk about autotune and think about its use in pop music. While you were saying all that, I did a sneaky uh, milk break because I just really wanted to taste the strawberries and cream one again. You can drink whenever you want. You don't have to like wait for us or announce it every time you you take a drink of no 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 I, I need to keep track these are rules you set for yourself do you believe in life after milk or alternatively do you believe in milk after love yes i guess <laughs> nothing's stopping you from having milk after love sure up next is a song i don't think you knew no i don't think i did <laughs> i put it on the list of songs we we should include in the 90s episode and you went what's this and i played it for you and you went i've never heard this in my life i was like what because to me blue da ba dee da ba da is a song i mean i heard like in my elementary school days like youth youth it's a popular 90s song and it's actually kind of making the rounds again about to say i've actually heard it since we had that conversation <laughs> yeah thanks to tiktok see it's it's the <laughs> lil wayne effect it happened again <laughs> Uh, some TikToks were sent my way that used this song, the chorus, the Daba D part. Yep, I'm blue, Daba D. Well, so that's the thing of it. There was a 2022 cover of the song by Softest Hard and T-Pain, and it's been making its way around TikTok and radio. The song's experienced a real resurgence lately, a 30-year renaissance, if you will. Blue is by an Italian band called Eiffel 65, and it came out in 1998 as a single, featured as a track on their 1999 debut record Europop. Blue was number one in 18 countries, and it reached number six in the United States, which is kind of weird to think about, isn't it? Like, this song that we remember so well from the 90s just, like, made it to number six and never higher. (laughs) And it is a fever dream of a song, very much so, especially the music video. Blue's music video, I think, is part of the reason it was popular, but boy, has it not aged well. It looks like a relic today, like, to watch it. They animated it, and it's... Ooh. And that's not to discredit all the work that went into it, because to make the music video, it took a team of five people three months to model all these characters and animate it in an early 3D software. It's a labor of love, but it's still a labor to watch. NME actually included it in their list of the 50 worst music videos ever. (laughs) So don't expect artistic greatness. And when they wrote the song, the lyrics were actually meant to be 
nonsensical. They just decided to start singing some things, and unfortunately, <laughs> they picked the color blue at random. It's not like a, a reference to something. It's not color symbolism. They just decided blue. Yeah, that's the word. We like blue, and that's just what they did. Did you? Okay, so you hadn't heard the song before uh, in context, I guess. What did you think of it? I liked uh, the, the chorus, annoyingly catchy. Yes, but in a good way, though. But that's what you want. Yeah, in a good way. Mm-hmm. Annoyingly catchy, but in a good way. <laughs> right. I, I liked it. I'll spill the beans now. Didn't like it enough to make top three territory, but. Oh, interesting. Okay. I get that. I get that. I love it. It's a good one. I lean into the annoyingly catchy. Fair enough. The next song we're talking about is a song that I can never actually hear as it is. <laughs> this is another weird spin cycle for us in a way. It's a strange spin cycle. I never hear the song the way that it's intended. The next song we're talking about is Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio. Yeah. So we definitely talked about the song. When we talked about Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life, episode 30, with a B-side uh, on spinitpod.com, we talked about his song Pastime Paradise, which is basically Gangsta's Paradise. It's this song. <laughs> and we may have even brought it up again when on the Dr. Demento episode we talked about Weird Al and Amish Paradise. I think Amish Paradise is the first iteration of this song that I ever knew. And so it's the one that comes to my head the most. <laughs> yeah. And again, the order went Pastime Paradise was like the original song. Mm -hmm. And then Coolio did Gangsta's Paradise. Yep. based off of that and then weird al came along and was like oh yeah well i'm gonna do another version of this song yes yeah that's inspired me actually to uh for connor's hip and hopping album yeah make a version of this song oh boy that's great that's gonna be expensive it's called uh milkman's paradise yeah great <laughs> awesome pigeon paradise i don't know there's so many options pigeon paradise that's not a good that's not that's not a bad idea you just said that's not a good idea and then you changed it i don't I, know well because i started saying that's a good idea and it's not a bad idea at the same time okay i'll take your word for it stevie wonder is actually very particular about pastime paradise and all of his music he's very very sensitive to what his music is used in and for he insisted that Coolio didn't use any vulgar language on the track. Coolio came with a first draft, showed it to Stevie Wonder, and Steve was like, ah, no, maybe maybe clean it up, you know, change some of that. And he did. Coolio obliged, because how can you not? You're working with some of the best music out there. Yeah. And now you have Gangsta's Paradise. He actually got to perform the song live at the 1995 Billboard Music Awards with Stevie Wonder, which is really cool. That scene at the end of Weird Al's parody documentary the weird movie yeah where you know he's accepting like his award and performing amish paradise and like they got like coolio they're like shaking his head all angry it lives rent free in my head as it should <laughs> that whole movie lives rent free in my head a, <laughs> it's that was such one a of good our movie. first <laughs> movie nights it's a wild one for sure gangsta's paradise came out in august of 1995 and within two months it went platinum sold over a million copies in 60 days that's a lot it was actually billboard's best-selling single of the year again remarkable that it came out in august almost the year's end and it was their best-selling song of the year in 2008, VH1 deemed it the 38th best song in hip-hop, and it also won a Best Rap Solo Performance Grammy. And much like Barbie Girl, this music video also has over a billion YouTube views. Impressive. It is, it is. I like the song a lot. Coolio said when he wrote the song, his inspiration was really, like, spontaneous, you know? He says... 
Gangsta's Paradise wanted to be born. It wanted to come to life, and it chose me as a vessel. So it doesn't get any easier to write a song than that. You know, when something just feels like it's flowing out of you, usually those are the songs I think that turn out the best. Are we ready to get jiggy with it? I think so. This song feels like a slap in the face. <laughs> Are we still making Will Smith slap jokes? Ooh. Is that still in the in the zeitgeist? I don't know. Uh, I think it is because isn't it right back in the zeitgeist right now? Because because the Oscars just happened, and um, Chris Rock just put out like a new comedy special where he talks about it. Mm, yeah, maybe we're riding the wave again. I don't know. The next '90s single we're talking about is "Get Jiggy with It," the uh, pretty much signature hit of the non-roommate of Twenty One Pilots, Will Smith. It came out in 1998. And it's another one that's from a debut album. It's from Will Smith's debut, Big Willie Style. So like Gangsta's Paradise, Getting Jiggy With It also samples some songs. It samples He's the Greatest Dancer by Sister Sledge and Sang and Dance by the Bar K's, which I didn't realize. I am not familiar with either of those songs, though, so I don't know how I really could have realized it. Getting Jiggy With It was number one on the Billboard chart for three whole weeks, and it earned a Best Rap Solo Performance Grammy just like Pastime Paradise. The song did kind of become a little controversial as it aged. Not everybody always has loved getting jiggy with it. So much so that Pitchfork called it one of the seven worst U.S. number one singles of the 90s in 2010, which is a lot of numbers, I guess, back to back. (laughs) The seven worst number one singles of the 90s in 2010. What do you think? What's your take? Is it one of the best or one of the worst? Uh, I'm not a big fan of it. No? I'm not a huge fan of it. It's not bad. It's just, eh. Eh. Okay. I can get behind that. It did draw a lot of criticism, too, for being pretty repetitive, just like Daft Punk and Around the World. (laughs) 90s were a repetitive time. They were. You could say that again. 90s were a repetitive time. <laughs> 90s were a repetitive time. Okay, okay. You're like a you're like a broken record. 90s were a repetitive time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't. I'm done. All right. Uh, yeah, repetitive time. People really did love the, the song's lightheartedness, its attitude, all that stuff. The music video for Getting Jiggy With It was directed by Harold Hype Williams and filmed in Las Vegas, not on his ranch, like 21 Pilots House of Gold. And it earned him a 1998 MTV Music Video Award for Best Rap Video. So how about that? The other thing that's important to note, too, is that the phrase getting jiggy with it did exist already. Not a Will Smith original. It's a term, I guess, that's used to denote something that's sexy or stylish. And Will Smith was, like, hoping to co-opt and kind of transform the meaning of the word. Which I think he did. Because I don't think of sexy and stylish when I think of jiggy now. I think of Will Smith (laughs) getting jiggy with it. Nah, 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 nah. Here's another one, okay? Do you know who baffles me as an artist and just always has? Yeah. Meatloaf. (laughs) I've never listened to any... Any other Meatloaf songs aside from this one, but I feel like I remember him being on like the Celebrity Apprentice or something. He doesn't look like a rock star. He doesn't act like a rock star. His name is Meatloaf. He doesn't sound like a rock star. He's got a good voice. I don't understand. Who is Meatloaf? Who is Meatloaf? Add it to the spinet mystery department just to figure out who is Meatloaf. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's the deal? The next song we're talking about is I Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That. I mean, what a song. What a, uh, I mean, another <laughs> marathon song. Five minutes long, even longer. I, this is one of the best singles of the 90s. I guess Around the World is even longer and even less substance. So I really can't complain. But that's comparative. I Do Anything for Love is still quite the track. Do you have any thoughts on Meatloaf? Do you have any other experiences with Meatloaf? 
Not the food, the guy. I like to eat it. No, see, that's what I... You don't like to eat the guy meatloaf. <laughs> you just like to eat the food meatloaf. Yeah. My mom makes a really good meatloaf. Shout out to my mom. There you go. <laughs> I would do anything for my mom's meatloaf, all right? <laughs> good to know. So would meatloaf. But no, I don't really have any other experience. Again, when we, I feel like when we were in like middle school and high school, this was a big like meme song. Maybe. I still don't remember it much from then. I, of course, I wasn't very connected. I wasn't online a lot then. I was unplugged. It's fine. I like it enough. The song was written by Jim Steinman and recorded by Meatloaf and Lorraine Crosby, who is credited as Mrs. Loud on the album notes. It came out in 1993, one of our songs that's actually not from the late 90s. This one's an early 90s song. And it's from his sixth record, Bat Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell. Which Sounds like the bat's not out of hell then. The bat, Yeah, it seems like the bat didn't get out of hell. Oh, it did in the first one, but it's not now. I mean, the title is, is already kind of a mess. Yeah, this one's Bat in Hell. What's the longest meat? What's, hold on, we gotta do some spinning research. Hang on world's longest wow wait wait okay so the guinness world record for the world's largest meatball not a loaf different shape of meat is 1110 pounds and it was set in columbus ohio really you live very close to the world's largest meatball that's awesome uh i found the world's largest meatloaf apparently hang on oh here what there's a whole thing called burning loaf apparently burning loaf is a thing where a group of guys, you know, it says, it says here, the rules of burning loaf are simple. Get a group of guys together, barbecue a meatloaf, and give away money. Okay, yeah. It raised more than $55,000 in the past eight years at uh, Burning Loaf Founders, yada, yada. Aha! Burning Loaf being placed in the Guinness World Records by way of a meatloaf weighing at least 220 pounds. That's a lot of meatloaf. That's a lot of meatloaf. It is. But that's not a length, that's just a weight. I, we're not going to find length. You could make a very skinny long meatloaf, and, and uh, yeah, weight is probably the real definitive one. The longest loaf of bread ever recorded is 1,211.6 meters. What? 3,975 feet. What? <laughs> three? You say 3,000 feet? That's what I'm telling you. That's a half mile. That's more than a half mile. There's like a three-quarter mile loaf of bread out there? Specifically, 3,975 feet and 0.69 inches. That's amazing. That's a long bread. It took them 59 hours and 30 minutes. That's it? Apparently. Wait, but wait, wait, but how do you make... Okay, we're off on a tangent, and I don't even care. How do you make <laughs> a three-quarter mile loaf of bread? You don't have a three-quarter mile oven. Do you bake it, like, in a stretch, or do you pass it under? I'm imagining it's like the pizza ovens with the, like, you know, the conveyors that take the pizza through the oven. Mm. Oh, here. The bread was backed on an electric tuner oven 10 meters in length. Did you just say the word backed instead of baked? Yeah. I did. <laughs> just... <laughs> no, but it's actually, it's written that way, actually. So maybe it is supposed to be backed. It's spelled back. Oh, okay. Hey, bread makers in the chat, let us know. It says the bread was backed on an electric tuner oven, 10 meters in length, specially manufactured for this event. Huh. After baking, the bread was placed on a continuous baking pan, was pulled by a steel cable conducted by a system of rail with rollers to facilitate its movement. At the end of the event, the final loaf was distributed to more than 15,000 people. People. That's amazing. 
they used trains to yank a, th- a three-quarter mile loaf of bread through a hot tube. Apparently. That's amazing. Wow. Look at us learning things on the music podcast, but you didn't come here to learn about long bread. I feel like we need to recycle the, the Baker's Dozen. We're having a Baker's Wait. Dozen number of tracks, talking about uh, bread again. It's the resurgence of the Baker's Dozen in episode <laughs> 90 for some reason. <laughs> Who knew? It's the Baker's Dozen episode two, back into the Baker's Dozen. <laughs> Back into the oven. <laughs> back into- I love it. It's awful. <laughs> anyway, we should we should take a couple steps back to Meatloaf the singer. <laughs> and I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. What a song. It is again a very long one. Some versions are 12 minutes long, wild. It's too much. But apparently it's not too much for people in the 90s. It was number one in 28 countries. And even though it got certified platinum in the U.S. for more than a million copies sold, it was Meatloaf's only top 10 single on the Billboard charts. And he even took home a Best Rock Vocal Performance Grammy, which is pretty impressive. That's impressive. The shortest version of the song that I could find, the single release, again, is still 5 minutes and 13 seconds. And this is another song like Baby One More Time, Hit Me Baby, a lot of people were confused on. A lot of people were confused on I Won't Do That for some reason. That gave people a lot of trouble. Has that tripped you up? Nah. No? But I'm built different. (laughs) Yep, sure. (laughs) It messed me up for a bit until I really like dug into it a little bit. Just because it's not directly connected to anything that he won't do. But the format of it is kind of meant to parallel the verses. He says, I would do X, Y, Z, but I won't forget about you. And so in the chorus, he says he's going to do all these things. And the that that he won't do is forget about her. He, he kind of, you know, recycles it without explicitly saying it. Yeah. So a lot of people thought that the thing, the that was ambiguous, but really it's just kind of buried in there in a roundabout syntax kind of way that I think is actually pretty clever and really cool. Oh, and, and to keep it, you know, we're talking about the resurgence of the Baker's Dozen. This is all also another strange tie-in that really shouldn't be relevant to us but kind of somehow is michael bay directed the music video <laughs> so it's another link between all the songs we talked about in the transformers franchise which has come up now at least twice three times before now yeah it's wild the music video is kind of a modern pseudo twist on beauty and the beast i didn't watch the whole thing it seems fine i don't have any complaints about it it's an interesting song and it's good to know and it's different meatloaf is different up next under pressure (laughs) you might think so for a second (laughs) but that's not quite right up next ice ice baby by vanilla ice for those of you in the audience who might be wondering if James and I script those dumb jokes, we don't. <laughs> I, we don't script a thing. Sometimes you can tell. Oh, and also since we're moving into the back third of the album. Oh, is it time for the third milk? It's time for the third milk. Third milk. For another milk break. Third milk. Any guesses <laughs> from the chat on what maybe the third milk flavor would be? I have no idea. I can never guess anything with you. Mint. Chat's guessing mint milk? That'd be wild. That'd be pretty good. That'd be pretty good, probably. This one is the one I'm most concerned about tasting. I don't know what this is. It is apple pie a la mode milk. Apple pie milk. It doesn't sound that strange to me. That sounds kind of like a normal... Do you think apple pie is a normal milk flavor? It just sounds like it's going to be cinnamony. You know, maybe a little apple But like... I'm not... hoping it's more apple than cinnamony. Only one way to find out. And then, you know, it's a la mode. Well, a la mode has several definitions. Yeah. What's the verdict? Yeah. Wow. A bummer. 
But it surprisingly tastes like apple pie. Like, it tastes like the crust of apple pie. That's kind of what I figured. A very specific description. But yeah, that makes sense. Very interesting. Well, good. I'm glad that was a successful experiment for you. Uh, at the end, we'll do a tally on how much milk I've downed, approximately. Oh, I'm so... <laughs> I haven't been keeping track. I'm worried. <laughs> I am too. I guess we better hurry before you drink yourself out of milk. Yes, please. <laughs> Back to under pressure. Oops, I mean Ice Ice Baby. A lot of debut songs in these 90s singles we're pulling from. Ice Ice Baby was Vanilla Ice's debut. And this is another one that's not from the late 90s. This one came out in 1990. It's from his very first record called To The Extreme. And actually was a B-side to his cover of Play That Funky Music, which I never want to hear in my life. Really? I don't ever want to hear Vanilla Ice singing Play That Funky Music. Fair enough. No. A side note, by the way. Does anybody know Vanilla Ice's real name? I will refrain from answering. Oh, that's, that means you do. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know until I looked it up. It's kind of wild. Are you listening? You keep you keep like dancing. Are you listening to the songs as we talk about them? Yeah. <laughs> uh, his name is Robert Van Winkle. This is Vanilla Ice's real name, which just reminds me of Rip Van Winkle. <laughs> but yeah, if you've ever been confused when Ice Ice Baby has come on, thinking it's under pressure, you're not alone. Even Freddie Mercury was confused the first time he heard it on the radio. I mean, <laughs> that it doesn't get much more confusing than that when you don't recognize, I guess, not your own song. So Vanilla Ice didn't do most of the music, and it was actually almost challenged in court because of what he did. Not surprising. Yeah. But Vanilla Ice obviously did come up with new lyrics for the song when he was also 16 in 1983. So he sat on those for quite a while. And actually, here's a fun fact, a little historical nugget. Ice Ice Baby was the first hip-hop single to top the Billboard Hot 100. And it topped the charts in half a dozen other countries, too. And uh, here's also another little nugget that I despise. In 1991, there was a cover of Ice Ice Baby made. Do you know who made this cover of Ice Ice Baby? Who? Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> it's called Ice Ice Alvin. I should have known that. I know. I don't know how you would have. I don't. It's not the kind of thing you search out. But yes, Ice Ice Alvin. I like Ice Ice Baby, but I never. It's a, a unique flavor of disappointment every time it starts because I like Under Pressure more and I always get more excited to hear Under Pressure and then it isn't, you know? It's like a weird letdown, but I'm okay. I feel like I go back and forth on that. I feel like I it's never the one I want it to be. Ever? <laughs> No. You just get unlucky. When it comes on, I'm like, oh, I hope it's Ice Ice Baby, and then it'll be under pressure. Or I'll, it'll come on and be like, oh, I hope this is under pressure, and then it'll be Ice Ice Baby. It's never the one I want. Yeah, and it's a shame. Aunt May, you're cursed. It's one of those things that makes me think we're living in a simulation. In a, in the Matrix? Yeah. A great 90s reference there that you just left on the table. Yeah. I've never seen the Matrix. Spin it movie night. Speaking of spin it movie night, if we're done with this one. I think we are. <laughs> Our next one up, Livin' La Vida Loca. Living La Vida Loca. This song, you speak of movie night. Uh -huh. We just had a, an unofficial spin at movie night the other day where I watched Shrek 2 for the first time and it features this song pretty prominently towards the end. Living La Vida Loca. Classic. It's a great one by Ricky Martin, a Puerto Rican artist, and it's from his fifth album, which is self-titled. And actually, that album was his very first English-speaking debut as well came out in 1999, and it's about a woman who's living the crazy life, as you could tell by the translated Spanglish of the title, Living La Vida Loca. What a song. It's a good song. It's a classic. I love this song. This is a song that just makes you want to get into the groove, you know? 
I like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say. Just a bewildered, yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Love it. It is a pretty awesome song. And, and one of those rare instances where a song is pretty universally known, like instantly recognizable. And I also think, I think this would qualify for maybe a one-hit wonder too. Yeah. I mean, we didn't touch it on our one-hit wonders episode, but I feel like we could have. Definitely could have. Yeah. But hit is definitely the right word to use for it. It was number one in more than 20 countries, including the U.S., where it stayed for five straight weeks. And Ricky Martin was the first Latin artist in history to be nominated for an MTV Video Music Awards Video of the Year award. And the song is credited with helping kickstart the Latin pop explosion in music just in general. This song really helped mainstream and popularize the genre. Do you like, okay, this is a tough question for you maybe, do you like Ricky Martin's version better or the Shrek 2 version better? Ooh, that's such a hard one. I know. That's why I have to add, this is Spin It. We ask the tough questions. I think I'm going to give the song to Ricky Martin. Okay. But just like in general, like if you're taking the whole package of the music and I haven't seen Ricky Martin's music video, assuming one exists for this song, Um, but I have a feeling that if we took like the whole package together, the Shrek version would win. Okay. There's something about watching a talking donkey and cat in boots that wins my heart over. Wow. Wins your heart over. And you didn't even call that version your favorite. No. Okay. Good to know. Shrek in general just has a banger of a soundtrack. I mean, I Need a Hero, sung by the Fairy Godmother. One of the best covers of all time. It was okay. Yeah, it was okay. I love the movie. The movie was great. Uh, I think I'm going to give the edge to the Ricky Martin version, though, because I am missing the nostalgia that comes with having watched Shrek when I was a youngin'. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to point out about Livin' La Vida Loca, Ricky Martin worked with Desmond Child to write the song. Desmond Child is an artist that's helped write hits that we've talked about. I mean, across the board, he's worked with artists like Aerosmith, Joan Jett, Bon Jovi, Michael Bolton, and a lot more. He's kind of a spin cycle machine. So Desmond Child, keep an eye out. Now, up next, we got another song to talk about. And I don't know what happened to Mambo's one through four, but this one is Mambo number five by Lou Bega. The only Mambo we needed. It it consumed Mambo's number one through four. (laughs) Why was Mambo six afraid of Mambo five? Because Mambo five ate Mambo's one, two, three, and four. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) What do you mean, whatever? You're the one that made the joke. I know, but the... it was a bad joke inspired by your whatever. You can't be like, whatever. Like, it was like toss it aside like you do my dumb jokes when you're the one that made it. I get to say whatever. Do you want to? Nah, I'm built different. <laughs> whatever. Mambo number five, so good. It slapped so hard. Yeah. The original version of Mambo number five was entirely an instrumental. Yeah. It came out in 1949 by Cuban musician Damaso Prado. I don't know the original. I should have looked it up before we did this, but I'll definitely look it up after because I'm curious. But the version of Mambo Number no. 5 that qualifies as a 90s hit and the one that we all know and love today is by German singer Lou Bega. It was the debut. I've been saying debut a lot this episode. A lot of famous first songs in the 90s is from his debut album A Little Bit of Mambo in 1999 and it was an international sensation. Topped the charts in 24 countries. In France, it was at number one for a record-breaking 20 consecutive weeks. I'm glad we're not playing normal factor spin this week because this next fact is one the mixtaper surely would have found and tried to lie about. 
there's another cover of Mambo number no. 5, I guess similar to the cover of Ice Ice Baby that I told you about. Any guesses who's covered Mambo number no. 5? The mixtaper would have tried to lie about it? Yes, I guarantee, I a thousand percent guarantee that if we did a factor spin on Lou Bega, this would have been there. The mixtaper would have said it as a fact, and I would have said it was a spin. Gotcha, so he would have been telling the truth, you just accused him of lying about it. No, no, it is that unbelievable. Who? Everybody's favorite construction worker, Bob the Builder. <laughs> I kid you not. Bob the Builder released Mambo Number no. 5, the construction version, where he names all kinds of different tools and construction equipment and just covered Mambo Number no. 5. I love that. His version, the Bob the Builder version of Mambo Number no. 5, was the 17th best-selling single in the UK in 2001. I cannot, I that blows my mind. That's awesome. Incredible. Who would have believed it? I don't know. I wouldn't have. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Mambo number no. 5 is also an anthem in the world of cricket. You know, the sport. People in cricket love it. Oh. Anyway, suffice it to say, remember how I said he sampled a couple different songs to make this? His his Cuban Damaso Prado samples in Mambo Number no. 5. He opened himself up to copyright disputes by doing that. Mm. There was a wicked seven-year legal battle between copyright holders to figure things out. Both of these people wanted sole rights to the song, but in the end, this one does have a resolution. The court ruled that both parties acted as co writers and they had to split writing credits he's bob the builder can he mambo yes he can anyway that's mambo number five what a catchy song boy i love it it's one of my favorites from this list i think good one it sure is well you know what's one of my favorites from the list as it should be up next is my heart will go on by celine dion i'm a big fan of the um titanic makes everything better videos where they take this song and put it over top of other famous movie scenes oh interesting i can believe that have you seen those i've maybe seen a couple oh they're hilarious we're gonna watch some of them after this so you know between you and me i guess this is just the thing i say every time we mention a movie i've never seen all of titanic that doesn't surprise me it actually surprises me you've seen any of it so i yeah i saw it on tv one day and i put it on and i watched the first maybe two ish hours and then then at like the two and a half hour mark i watched the titanic hit the iceberg and i looked and there were still like two and a half hours left and i had to leave and so i stopped watching and left and never came back to it so it's a long movie but i just have never gotten through it near the song wherever you are I a classic will drink In- instantly recognizable you flavored milk yeah Oh my gosh. (laughs) The song, the actual song, not the weird flavored milk version, was written by James Horner and Will Jennings. And it came out on Celine Dion's album, Let's Talk About Love. It was a chart topper in 25 countries, and really it never slowed down. It's the second best-selling physical single by a woman ever, ever, which is mega impressive. Yeah. The song also cleaned up on hardware. It won an Academy Award and a Golden Globe for Best Original Song, four Grammys in 1999, including Song of the Year and Record of the Year. And in February of 1998, it broke a record for the largest radio audience ever with more than 117 million listeners. Actually, the RIAA named it the Song of the Century. So obviously we have to include it on this list of 90s singles. It's got to be a song of the decade if it's a song of the century. Chat says it's very soundtrack, a very soundtracky song. But actually, the people that made the movie weren't so sure about putting it on the soundtrack. They didn't really want a pop song on this dramatic moment. They weren't 
quite so sure. But when they heard the demo, they knew that they had to have it. They snatched it right up. It's a good song. So I guess in that regard, it is it is soundtrack. It ended up being soundtrack. <laughs> but yeah. Other fun facts. That fun instrument in the song is a tin whistle. Iconic. And Celine Dion recorded her vocals in one take for the movie version. Wow. I know. I know. One take. But the album version features some redone parts and some some tweaks. But the movie version is all one go. Incredible. And last but not least, to close out the Baker's Dozen. Yeah, our Baker's Dozen song is one I know you've seen the movie that does a version of it. (laughs) I've seen a couple movies that do a version of it. We're talking about Wannabe by the Spice Girls. And specifically, I'm talking about Chicken Little. I thought so. Chicken Little, yes. It's This is, again, 90s babies, Connor and I. We're not <laughs> 90s kids. We're 90s babies. And so Chicken Little, I mean, was like, like a pillar in our childhood, which is weird. Mm-hmm. But anyway, in Chicken Little... They definitely sing Wannabe for karaoke. That was kind of my first exposure to the song. I think it was for a lot of people in our age. The other popular media that this song is in that's been making the rounds lately is that Amazon Prime show The Boys about superheroes. (laughs) The song features prominently in a very memorable scene from the first season that I... I will not spoil, but it's just, it leaves you flabbergasted. It's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah. (laughs) Wannabe was the Spice Girls, I'll say it again, debut single in 1996. And it's probably their most popular song ever. It's from their debut album, simply called Spice. And it's actually the second song they ever co-wrote professionally as a group. They basically wrote the bulk of it out in 30 minutes with just a drum machine. And they said it was a sudden creative frenzy. It's it's a lot. The song is a lot. <laughs> it's very in your face, which you got to kind of love. They took a lot of inspiration for Wannabe from Grease, the musical, and the song Summer Nights specifically. They also recorded the song within an hour compared to sometimes three days of work on their other songs. So, I mean, think about that. It's the same th- kind of thing like we talked about with some of the songs on Bambi by Hippocampus or Eric Church, where they just cranked it out so, so, so fast. Impressively fast. Imagine going from, yeah, from nothing to a hit song in an hour and a half but that's just for the general recording they did do a couple different remixes because the original didn't turn out quite like they wanted and actually for as iconic of a song as wannabe is and as synonymous as it now kind of is with the spice girls it almost wasn't their debut single their label wanted them to pick something more fun something cooler since they were kind of one of the first major girl groups in the pop sphere they said you got to have a big poppy hit assert yourself you know as a girl group and they were adamant they said no wannabe is the way that we want to go and voila they got their way we got the hit yeah what do you think of wannabe i quite enjoy the song mainly because of the nostalgia of chicken little that's why you like the song i'm just it's like i can't separate the two like how we were talking about titanic this is as inseparable from chicken little to you as (laughs) my heart will go on is to titanic yeah if not more so what some (laughs) of the things you say i just i can't separate the two but it's not it's not like with celine dion that's like her version of the song in the movie like you're hearing the same song with this one you're just hearing characters sing it in chicken little and it's only like 30 seconds of this it's not even the whole song yeah and it's that inseparable for you yeah whatever maybe again maybe because i knew the celine dion song before i watched titanic but i don't i didn't know the spice girls song before watching chicken little okay well i guess (laughs) 
I suppose. Can't help but think about Chicken Little when I hear this song. I don't know what to tell you. That's all you needed to say. There were also a lot of other songs I was sad that we had to drop from the 90s singles list. Yeah. Maybe we'll find a way to get back to them. Yeah, new in 90s part two, back in the oven. 90s part two, bat out of hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, that is our Baker's Dozen. Oh, the stream's not over yet, by the way. We still have uh, we have to play Guess Who or Spin. It's time once again to bring the mixtaper on out here. We haven't played Guess Who or Spin in a while. Yeah, yeah, he's ready. He's ready? That's excellent. Well, let's hit some Guess Who or Spin. Uh, for the first time, I think, since episode 45, maybe? Been a minute. Been a minute. Let's jump into it. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper. Hello. Hey, mixtaper. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you? Good. Making my on-screen debut. It's exciting. <laughs> it's so exciting. What a, an iconic moment in Spin It history. Yeah. Are you ready to play more Guess Who or Spin? I mean, we haven't done this in a long time. Oh, yeah. Is this going to count towards the Season 6 Factor Spin scores? Like, is this going to be a a scored endeavor? No. So this is going to be special. It's going to be its own thing. I've revamped Guess Who or Spin. We'll get into that in a moment. I don't like that. I was barely used to the vamp. Okay, so how have you revamped Guess Who or Spin? Yes. For a reminder, you know, in Factor Spin, what we normally do is a fact is asserted about the one artist, and we have to tell whether whether it's true or false. Last time we did Guess Who or Spin, we get, what, three true facts and one fake fact about any of the artists we talked about today. And I have to figure out who they belong to and which one's fake. Or at least that's what we did last time. Correct, correct. So the first iteration was Guess Who or Spin, and I threw that spin in there and it really confused you. Second time around, we clarified that there'd be one specifically fake fact. Yes, that's how it went down. This time around, those rules still apply. Okay. But... I've kind of revamped to the information section, points section of Guess Who or Spin. So you will be getting four facts, three of which are absolutely 100% true about one of the 13 artists we talked about on this episode. Awesome. The other one is a bold face lie. Okay. I will give you the name of the fact. You know how I name all my facts with a catchy little line. <laughs> I dread those. We've had some bad ones lately. I just... So at any point in time, you can lock in an answer, okay? If you lock in your answer with just the title alone and get it right, you get five points. Whoa. <laughs> Mm. If you ask for clue number one and lock in, that drops you down to three points. Wow. If you ask for a second clue, that drops you down to two points. And if you ask for the third and final clue, that is going to be a very illuminating clue. It drops you down to one point. Okay. And of course, if you get it wrong at any stage, you get zero. Oh, it's not like a... It's not like an I get to keep guessing thing. Before I got three strikes. No, you gotta lock in when you wanna when oh. you think you're confident enough to go for the points. I, I like that twist. As as a fan of your work, I would love that twist. As me, a participant in this awfulness, boy, I hate it. I've done my best to make each clue give away the answer a little bit more and more to try to, you know, ramp it up that way. That's good. I do appreciate that. We'll see how well I did. This is my first time doing this, so you know, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. I feel like you've got four of them for a total of 20 possible points. 
I think your goal is just to get what above ten. Sounds like my goal is to get ten. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see how we did at the end here. That's not a lot of room for error. I'll be honest. No, it's not. We'll tweak it based off of how this one goes for next time around. <laughs> yeah, this is a test run. So uh, hit me with that first true fact. They are a Rubik's cube whiz. Rubik's cubes, huh? Like colored cube puzzles. Yep. Oh, Rubik's cube whiz. This feels very. When was the Rubik's Cube invented? I guess that's not a question you maybe could answer. Uh, I'll give you that one as a freebie. Oh, wait, that's right. I can't ask questions like normal. The way I kind of view it, it was invented in 1974, by the way. Okay. The way I kind of view it is if you have any follow-up questions based on the information I give you, the clue and stuff, depending on what the question is, I may or may not answer it. So the question is, are you ready to lock in an answer or do you want the first clue? Oh, a Rubik's Cube whiz. I don't think I can lock in on that. I don't think I'm ready enough. Give me the first clue. Clue number one. They have shown on TV multiple times that they can solve a Rubik's Cube and one time even demonstrated that they could do it under 55 seconds. That's fast. That's whiz. That's whiz territory. This is probably Meatloaf. This is probably Meatloaf, the man of a million mysteries. <laughs> I just can't figure out. I bet he's a Rubik's Cube whiz. So far, what I'm thinking is... I'm kind of leaning towards, I mean, Will Smith has been on camera a lot. Uh, I'm leaning away from Daft Punk. They, I, I mean, did the whole like masked identity thing for a long time, right? And I'm also kind of leaning away from bands. I'm leaning away from Aqua, from Eiffel 65, from the Spice Girls, which I guess really doesn't rule out much, to be honest. So are you locking in an answer or would you like clue number two? I want those points. How many points do I get now? I missed the five point opportunity. You're at three points if you lock in an answer and are correct. Oh, but I got to get to 10. I'm going to have to take at least one of them. At three. Yeah. But it may be smarter to wait. Can you can you reuse people? Like if you use someone for this fact, will they be one of the future ones as well? Is that possible? Anything's possible. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny if I've reused any. And and so in past times too, I've been able to like set one aside if I think it's the spin until I've heard the others. Is that an option this time? I will say you can bank one. So you can only ever have one banked at a time. Yeah, I'll bank this one for now. Okay. And I'll answer it after I've heard the next fact. Maybe I'll answer it even after I've just heard the title, whether I think it's true. Fair enough. Second one, they inspired a villain. Oh, that's hard too. Very hard. Yeah, as we're doing this, I'm thinking that the title only lock-in should be worth like 20 points on their own. That if you can nail it off of that, you just win. <laughs> I was going to say, that's tough. I think I'm going to go say the Rubik's Cube. I think I'm going to say that's a Will Smith. You're going with Will Smith. Locking it in for three points. I'm going to lock in Will Smith on the Rubik's Cube. This fact is about Will Smith. It's about Will Smith. Oh, that's awesome. I figured, see, the, the TV thing, you said he appeared on TV a lot, and that's what took me to him. Uh-huh. As I said, I tried to give a little more clues each way. Yeah. Clue two was some of the characters they have played in their acting gigs have incorporated this niche hobby into their characters. So clue number three, which would have only gotten you one point, was this princely hobby is so fresh that people can't help but get jiggy with it when he does it. Oh, that's the level we're we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. If you make it to clue number three, it's a dead giveaway. So I shouldn't miss any of these. That's kind of the levels of detail you should you can expect. I'm glad. I'm relieved I got that one at three. I was a little worried. I'm impressed. Let's jump back to they inspired a villain. Yeah. Feels a little too vague for my tastes. Okay. I think I need to take one more. One more. All right. Clue number one, knocking you down to three potential points. They inspired classic spin it villain Barry Manilow to write his 2011 album 15 years. I 
would not have guessed this was the direction we were going at all. Because he's a menace, <laughs> not a villain. We've been over this. Ah, they inspired a menace then. I was out here thinking like Meatloaf with his bats and, and things, <laughs> or like Daft Punk with their masks and stuff. But certainly Daft Punk didn't inspire Barry Manilow to do anything. Wow. So they inspired Barry Manilow to write what album? Uh, his 2011 album, 15 Years. 2011. Darn you. What's important about 15 Years? Is there anything significant about the title? The Yeah, sure is. To get what, though, you'll have to buy another clue. Oh, you're right. It kind of is like I'm starting with full points and just spending them to get information yep. to see how many I get to keep. 15 years in 2011 puts us in when? 1996? So Spice Girls had Wannabe in 1996, but that's the only one. I don't know why Barry Manilow would write an album inspired by the Spice Girls. I'm not confident enough. I'm going to take another clue. Next clue, clue number two, dropping you down to two potential points. The inspiration came from Manilow watching them struggle with having a life of privacy. Okay. That gives me other ideas because the whole world has been on this free Britney kick for the last while, right? Britney Spears was famously under this contract, this thing with her father. And again, we talked about how she kind of released that big hit at 16, which makes me think 15 would have been kind of when the end of the privacy thing started. I'm gonna I'm gonna lock in Britney Spears for this one for two. Locking in Britney Spears for two points. Britney Spears inspired Spin It Menace Barry Manilow to write this album. This fact is about Britney Spears. It's about Britney. Oh, awesome. Okay, so I'm on pace. That's halfway. I'm at five points, two questions in. Hit me with that third clue. Or, well, third, guess who? The, the third fact is they own ghost detecting equipment. I hate you. I hate that you've done this. So this is the return of ghost detecting equipment, but not in factor spin and guess who or spin? Indeed. Can I do something bold here? Yeah, sure. Go for it. I think this is your spin. Okay, you're just going to lock it in off the title? Well, more than just that, let me explain my rationale. Okay. This is the third fact. Uh If this one wasn't the spin, then I would know right away the next one is the spin. Uh I feel like you wouldn't want that to happen on a cheap shot. And also, I think you knew that giving me ghost detecting equipment as the spin would frustrate me because there are so many artists that it could be about. Hmm. And we've talked about how it belongs to somebody that I haven't picked for an episode yet, but I will pick eventually. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know who it is. Like you teed this up so far in advance that I don't even know about it. Uh-huh. And some of these people are very, very possible potential episodes. They're locking in spin then. I'm locking in that this is your spin. Off the title. You don't even want to hear clue number one? I don't. All right, that's fine. Because it's not true. This is a spin. You see, you made the classic blunder of the fact that I know what order I'm giving these to you in. And I knew you would think I wouldn't want to save the spin for last. There's no, but there's too much coincidence that goes detecting equipment. I just, it can't be true here. Fine. You've already locked it in i'm telling you that this fact is my spin i knew it i knew it that was a, that was a bit of a foolish move for you i think i i should have given it to you as number two in hindsight you should have given it to me as number two i didn't think ahead but that brings us into our final one that we know is it true about somebody it's got to be true they were roommates with 21 pilots no I'm kidding. <laughs> would be, i would be so blown away it is they got stabbed in the butt and lost four pints of blood. Speaking of, have you finished four pints of milk tonight? <laughs> or has Connor? Sorry. I'm not drinking any milk. 
Connor's off uh, regretting his decision, I think, right now. I bet so. Stabbed in the butt, lost four pints of blood. I'll be totally honest, this screams meatloaf mm. right off the bat. The enigma that is meatloaf. Oh, also, I already have 10 points. I can play real fast and loose on this one. Well, I said you had to get more than 10 to win. Otherwise, it's a tie. Well, I have 10 points, and you're going to make this one pretty easy if I go all the way down to one, right? I mean, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Depends on how, how well you do. You might get confident and lock in too early. Oh, you're right. I need to know a little bit more about this. Okay. Four pints of blood stabbed in the butt. That's not enough for me to, to pick. Give me more. Give me another fact. Clue number one. They were stabbed in the butt during a street fight when they were 18. Ah, you, you're not going to tell me anything about when that was, would you? No. Okay. Again, I'm already leaning away from bands. I don't think all the Spice Girls got stabbed. Maybe they did collectively. <laughs> if they if they did, they lost four pints of blood. <laughs> Each of them lost a pint. Ah. Uh, yeah. Like that scene at the end of like Saw 5 or 6, whichever one it is. Where they all have to collectively do it, but yeah, they left everyone behind. Yeah. Spoilers for Saw 5 or 6 or whichever one that was. <laughs> I think I need another clue. I don't want to gamble with this last point. That's fair. Clue number two. They have been known to embellish their stories of growing up poor and therefore have threatened on many occasions to pull down their pants on stage and show off the scar. Wow. What a final ramp this is turning into <laughs> who's got a show-offable butt scar i still think this is screaming meatloaf to me mm -hmm. i just don't know anything about the man also seems like maybe something vanilla ice would do mm. so you locking in an answer or are you gonna play this baby mode i'm not locking in an answer and ask for the clue number three like a baby you can try and antagonize me all you want with your baby mode you can even say the baby voice again to little baby mode yeah, yeah. I saw that one coming a mile away. I'm not risking this point. I'm going to take the last clue. Clue number three. I bet after he got stabbed, his butt was sore, so he put some ice on it. Meatloaf. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to lock in vanilla ice. This fact is. Unless you, did you lie on this? What if that was a lie? <laughs> I can't, I have to lock in vanilla ice, right? Because you said ice on the on the butt. If you're lying, I will never forgive you for this. You don't know how tempted I was to lie on clue number three. But, you know, I'm an integrist dastard, as we've said many times before. And so this fact is about vanilla ice. Oh, a massive sigh of relief. I really thought you were about to say meatloaf. <laughs> I just, I really did. I, for some reason, I just, I thought that last clue would have been a, a, a red herring. Yeah. I really considered switching it up just to mess with you, but I got too much love for the game. No, I appreciate that. I like Guess Who or Spin. I like this new twist too with the point values. Yeah. I squeaked the, the win out by one point. I planned for you to lock in the ghost detecting equipment one on title alone. What I didn't expect was you getting Will Smith at three points. I thought you would take the second clue since it was the first round. You'd want to see what clue number two was like. I mean, that's why I held it and tried to bank it for a second. I thought I was going to have you at like nine points going into the final round. So you had to lock in at two in order to get the win, which would be awesome. That's good gamesmanship. I appreciate the, the thought there. You blew me away with locking in Will Smith on clue number one. <laughs> well, good. I did the right thing. What a slap in the face to you. Hey, now. You're an all-star. But yeah, I'll analyze the footage like any good player of any sort of competitive game. You know, Analyze the tapes. Yeah. See where I went wrong. Figure out where we can tweak the point values or the rules or the clue stuff. What an exciting episode this has been. I love it. Let's say goodbye to the mixtaper here. Yes. I sign you off with my signature. Yeah! There it is. What a fella, that mixtaper. 
So we'll get Connor back out here. We'll make our final thoughts. We'll do a final spin and some playlist picks. And then we will leave you be until the next episode. Regretting the amount of milk I drank. Yeah. Can we get a milk tally for the final spin? Yeah. (laughs) This milk tally was, eh. That's how you could tell how much milk he's had. Connor drank three different types of milk on this episode. Yeah. Yeah. We had Belgian chocolate, strawberries and cream. And And apple pie a la mode. Yep. The chocolate milk is about half full still. And these are one quart containers. So we'll say about half a quart of chocolate. Uh Strawberries and cream is empty with that last big gulp I took. So that's one quart. Oh my gosh. Wow. And I took all of two drinks worth of the apple pie and said, that's going to make me feel sick if I keep drinking it. And so... Smart. You know your limits. We'll say one and a half quarts and... Two sips. Sounds solid. Now, can you give me a top threes on the milk? Yeah, yeah. In uh, milk order, my top threes. (laughs) Yeah. Belgian chocolate, strawberries and cream, and apple pie a la mode. Predictable. What's the honorable mention? Oh, honorable mention. Uh... If you're interested to know my top three for the episode. I'm curious about your top three for the episode. And I'm pulling a sneaky one on you here. Oh. Because normally when I take more than my allowed top three plus honorable mention, I lose a pick for the next episode. But the next episode's already recorded, so. Darn you. Nothing you can do about that. <laughs> nope. So. I'll just let it be. It's a special singles episode. Yeah. I I only took one additional. Okay. But they are in episode order, or I guess in alphabetical alphabetical order. order. Since they're in alphabetical order, Believe by Cher. Oh, good pick. Live in La Vida Loca by Ricky Martin. Nice. Bombo number five by Lou Bega. Good choices. My Heart Will Go On, Celine Dion. We're getting a chicken little conorable mention. And Wannabe by Spice Girls. Wow. Wow, a shock. That's a good that's a good top four in a honorable mention. Yep. I think those make pretty good sense. For me, I think, I mean, we, I don't have a score to give because singles. So I'm also going to take a top three here. Okay. My top three is going to look different than yours a little bit. I feel like I have to take Baby one more time. Really? Okay. It's iconic and a classic. And one of the few songs that I knew decently well before digging into this. I'm also going to have to give one to Believe by Cher because, of course, incredible, great song, loved it. I think I'm going to give one to Mambo number 5 in the official top three. Okay, jumping quite a ways down. I did skip quite a ways down. I think the James will mention for me is mostly going to be based on the nostalgia of Blue. Okay. It's a weird one, and I don't think it's better. Don't hear me taking that as a James will mention and think that I think it's better than My Heart Will Go On or Live in La Vida Loca or anything. But, like, it gets a little asterisk by it, you know? I mentioned it. So where do you want to go for the playlist? What are you thinking for your playlist pick since we had such different top threes? Yeah, since we had different top threes, I think for me, if I got one playlist pick, based on what you said for yours, I might throw it to Mambo number five. Really? Mm-hmm. It's a fun song, and I think it blends well with the rest of our playlist. I'm torn between Livin' La Vida Loca and My Heart Will Go On. The ballad guy in me and just the fun of Livin' La Vida Loca are at war right now. And it's a tough call. I kind of thought you'd go Believe. No. Clearly not. I pick a lot of love songs. You do. So I'm going to go away from that for this special 90s episode and go live in La Vida Loca. 
Wow. That's going to get me every time. True. And I'm built different. I think those are great playlist picks. And, I mean, we don't really do a ranking for these episodes. We don't. But I wrote down some ranking ideas anyways because I forgot that fact. So I have them here. Well, sure. Why not tell us? <laughs> We're here. We're here. So I'd like to pick an honorary ranking title. It won't go on the spreadsheet or anything. But but honorarily, sure. Just for the episode. I think just in general, this episode ranks at about, this is probably a nine for me for the 90s episode. So, you know, this is an honorary nine. Nine. A- nine this is an honorary nine yeah oh my goodness <laughs> this episode gets an honorary nine portions of my mom's meatloaf all right meatloaf in our way through i would do anything for meatloafs but i won't do that <laughs> But yeah, that's our take on the 90s episode. I don't have a ranking for it. I'm not even going to give it an honorary score because it's just too complicated. My system is too complicated and these songs are too diverse. That's fair. That's going to do it for episode 90. Another successful Spin It Singles episode in the book and another successful live stream. If you're interested in catching our next live stream, you can head on over to twitch.tv slash spin it pod, drop a follow and be ready for the next time we go live with another episode, another game, another surprise Lego building stream whatever you want you can also find us on socials on twitter at spin it pod on instagram at spin it pod official and on our website www.spinitpod.com for all the fun things all the extra stats and rankings and everything you could ever need about spin it is there pinky promise we'll see you next week when connor gets to pick an episode and the year of vengeance continues in truly remarkable fashion it's a it's a spin it history making episode that you won't want to miss so drop by for episode 91 and until then keep spinning keep spinning oh my gosh i hate you why did i see that coming Let's see if we can make the world's longest grilled cheese. Ooh, we'd have to make two of the world's longest breads and then slap a bunch of cheese in it. No, because it's the world's longest loaf of bread, so we could just cut it in the middle. Oh, you're right. We could just use it. Well, it already got given away. We'd have to make a second one. Yeah, I think like every hundred feet, we'll switch cheese types. Oh, I like that. I say we do it. Spin a grilled cheese cook-off. Coming, Coming soon. soon. Baby out.